that video is from thebibleproject.com, so if you'd like to take a look at it again, uh, that's a pretty good resource. You go check it out. They have every book in the Bible on there, so you can check others out too. I recommend it. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right into taking a look at Habakkuk this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you again for gathering your people this morning. To hear the gospel, to hear Jesus, to proclaim, to remember who you really are and who Jesus really is, what you do and what that means for us. God, I pray that we would uh, be ready, that you would make us ready, that we would hear the good news in everything that we do this morning, uh, through the preaching of your word, through the singing of your songs, through communion, through serving one another in various ways, may Jesus be made known. Lord, over the next few minutes, I pray that you say what you would want said, that you speak, that you have each one of us here as you would have us here. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, you may want something like world peace. You may want something else, like uh, to see your city prosper. Or maybe you have a more specific passion. Uh, You may want to see people with special needs valued and cared for in our community. Uh, You may want to see education, the education system improved. You may want a cleaner environment. You may want to protect the weak and the powerless. You may want clean water. provided all over the world for people to drink, or maybe you just want to uh, help a sick loved one get better, or maybe you want to give your kids a better childhood than you had, or at least give them a legacy to build on. I think we could go on and on and on, but there's, the point is that there's something specific in your life that you want. And the chances are, I think, because you're here on a Sunday morning at a church, that In this room, there's a lot of wants for some pretty good things for this world that we live in. We all kind of want to make a dent in the darkness. But sometimes it seems like the darkness is winning. And it's hard to to see your way through. It's hard to see our way through in those times. Sometimes you're met with nothing but loss and failure. And in those moments, it can be difficult. And it can be frustrating, and we can be left feeling hopeless, helpless, helpless to execute our purposes, helpless to execute his, our passions or his calling that we feel is on our lives. And there's undoubtedly like evil in this world that wages war against the good. We know it because sickness and personal failures and death and like these horrific public acts of terrorism that we're hearing about all the time. They're just like these constant reminders of the evil and of our own finiteness. And we meet these roadblocks in society, and then we meet these roadblocks even within ourselves that kind of cut short our abilities, and at least they start to make us feel like our attempts are useless, right? And we're either left feeling hopeless and frustrated and in despair, or We try to ignore the bad news and find another way around it to keep going and to win, right? And it kind of ends up being like this clamoring on in like an endless cycle. We're supposed to be about justice, and we're supposed to be about restoration, and we're supposed to be a hopeful people, but it seems sometimes that we're helpless to actually redeem and to actually restore 
society, or even ourselves. So this week, we're continuing through the books of the minor prophets in the Old Testament as we've been doing over the past year or so, and we're starting Habakkuk. It's a three-week series in Habakkuk. And for me, Habakkuk is like a highlight in all the scriptures. It just has meant a lot to me personally, so I'm pretty excited about it. And I I know that it speaks to this particular type of predicament that we are all in, and I know it can help, and here's how I know. In just a few months, Claire and I will be celebrating our 18th anniversary. We were, uh, we were pretty young when we got married. I was 21 years old and probably a lot more stupid than I'll ever realize. I already realized I was really stupid, but I don't think I know how stupid I really was. But also, the first 20 years of my life weren't really a cakewalk. And if I knew anything, it was that I wanted a marriage that was going to last a lifetime and that I wanted to kind of like flip the script for my family and for any future riches that were going to come. And I probably thought too much of myself, but I also had seen a lot and I knew that I was going to be, it was going to be more difficult than I was prepared for. That it was going to be more difficult to make a, a marriage last a lifetime than I was aware of at the time. I did know that. And I remember I heard this sermon or I read a book uh, where John Piper talked about these last few verses in Habakkuk. It's chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And he talked about how he and his wife had written it over their marriage and how it had been a help to them through the years. So I went back at like 20 years old, 19 years old, something like that, and I spent some time in the book. And in that particular passage, and it reads like this. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. After spending some time there and reading through that, there was just no question for me. We needed to write this over our marriage also. We needed a scripture to like keep us centered through all the highs and lows that were going to come. And so we wrote this over our marriage. We said it our you know we we read it at our wedding. Uh, now it hangs on my bedroom wall. And over the years, it's been a constant help and a constant reminder. It's kept us centered on God, and given us strength in times of plenty and in times of desperation. So I know it helps for this predicament. And I think you'll find that this book is helpful in the same way for you. I'm going to read Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11, if you want to follow along with me. Habakkuk is right after Nahum, which is right before Zephaniah, which we were in for the last few weeks. Knowing that it's between those two books is probably not helpful to you at all. But go find the little books, and it's there. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at the wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. 
Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and they take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So, here we are. The clock is winding down on the kingdom of Judah's time. Right? The Babylonians or the Chaldeans, as Habakkuk refers to them, are coming sooner rather than later. Like we've been hearing this over the last few minor prophets that we've been through, right? Uh, that, that there's this call for Judah to turn from their sin and idolatry that leads them to obscene injustice and oppression towards other people and others. And there's this call that says God's not going to tolerate it. Babylon is going to come. But the book of Habakkuk is a bit different from these other prophets that we've gone through, whereas most of the minor prophets are basically a collection of what they've preached to the people of Judah and to the kings and the powers of Judah. Habakkuk is an oracle, as mentioned in the first verse. It's really a vision that God has given to Habakkuk in response to the prophet's own questions and protests and prayers. And it isn't so much a call for Judah to repent as much as it is an equipping for the righteous to endure. As we saw in the video from the Bible Project, Habakkuk makes two complaints or prayers, uh, both of which God answers. And the first we just read, and we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at today. The second we'll get to next week, it includes the five woes. And then lastly, Habakkuk 3 is a prayer that the, the prophet prays in response to what God has revealed to him. And it lets us in on some more details about this vision, um, but it ultimately lets us in on how God has led Habakkuk personally and therefore how he has is leading us as the reader. Now Habakkuk, a prophet who was in these last few decades before Judah was conquered by Babylon, was surely a witness uh, to the injustices that we've mentioned before and that we talked about even in Zephaniah. Rape, child sacrifice, money changing, all these things in the temple even as worship to foreign gods and foreign idols with some sort of perverted idea that it was also adequate worship to the true and living God. So let's read again Habakkuk's first complaint or protest to God in verse 2 through 4. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong?" Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. I think it's safe to assume that Habakkuk 
not only saw these things, but he was vocal in preaching against these practices and calling people back to the heart of God. It's pretty evident in this first prayer that he was a witness to injustice, that he saw this stuff happen, that he cried out for help, that he called it out as violence, and that he had seen this true justice dismissed, run over, and perverted. And as I read that and think through what Habakkuk is going through, I was reminded of how so many who are, have been inspired by the intrinsic value of every human being because of their image-bearing of God have fought for civil rights in our country. And how time and again they've witnessed violence and they've witnessed gross injustices and oppression from individuals and from governing systems and even from the church. I'm reminded of like Martin Luther King Jr. and others' sacrifice. I've, I've been thinking about Brian Stevenson. He's the author of Just Mercy, which is a, a best-selling book and a big-time movie right now that I recommend you go see or check out the book. And Brian Stevenson is a lawyer who founded this equal justice uh, uh, initiative, and he's fought for those unjustly punished because of the color of their skin with the, with, through that organization thought about how many injustices these people who fought for civil rights have witnessed and how they, like Habakkuk, have cried out violence only to see justice continue to go forth perverted, even today. How did Dr. King endure? How does Brian Stevenson today keep fighting for justice in the face of so many losses and failures? How does a prophet like Habakkuk in Judah find strength to endure when he keeps losing and he keeps watching God's people dehumanize themselves and dehumanize others? The answers are found in God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint. Look in Habakkuk 1.5, just that first part of God's response. It says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. I love this verse. It's so encouraging to me. I think Paul was, was really into this verse too. He quotes it in Acts chapter 13, kind of harvesting some endure, enduring truth from the prophet. And God, in this verse, tells Habakkuk two things that really stand out. Look among the nations and see. And then he says, for I am doing a good work. I am doing a work. Look and see, God is doing a work. This cuts to what I really want us to hear today. This is the truth I want us to hear today. And that is that we can't always see our way through. But we can see God who is doing a greater work. And he's where we find our strength to persevere. When I can't see my way through, I can see God who is doing a greater work. He's my strength to persevere. Track with me through God's answer to Habakkuk and see this truth kind of unfold a little more. You can look at Habakkuk 1.6 and then 1.11 and see kind of how God frames or bookends what he says about the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. 1.6 says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. And then in 111, he says, they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men 
whose own might is their God. I am raising up the Chaldeans. Their own might is their God. Now, there's nothing, I don't think there's really any, anything comical happening here, but also it's a little bit comical to me. Right? These verses and everything in between those two verses talk about and expands on the violence of Babylon and all the reasons why they are so proud of their own might and so proud of their own power and their own strength, so much so that they deify it, that they worship their own might as their God. Yet, God is going to raise them up and wield them and control them like they're nothing more than his sword. Do you see what this says about who God is? Babylon's might and strength and power is surely not God. God is far and away more mighty. He is all-powerful. He is full of might. And he is the very definition of strength. If you need to write this down in your notes or your DNA or whatever, who is God? God is strength defined. Let's dig a little further because there's a couple other things I want us to see. There's two things that God does that I want us to see. He answers Habakkuk, that's number one, and he's dealing with the matter of injustice, that's number two. Like This is God's call throughout the Scriptures to His people, right? Seek God and His righteousness, and He's faithful to answer. Like We, recent, we re- recently read this in Zephaniah. We heard the exhortation to seek God, seek righteousness, seek humility, and then you might be hidden, that, that you may be hidden by God. And another rather famous passage is found in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 that you might be familiar with. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And Jesus makes this same call in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And here in Habakkuk, we don't just hear that call. We actually see it in action. We see the call in action. Habakkuk, who's concerned with righteousness and justice because he's concerned with his people worshiping and representing God rightly, seeks God in prayer. He turns to God in humility, knowing that without God, he's powerless to bring justice to bear. God listens and God answers. And in his answer, he lets Habakkuk in on the fact that he is doing a work for justice, bigger than Habakkuk could imagine. He's going to justly punish the injustices that are taking place in Judah. And we know also that this story isn't over with Babylon conquering Judah or even with the eventual fall of Babylon because of their sin and idolatry. Ultimate justice was coming still through Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 3. 23 through 26. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness or justice because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see what God does? He answers those who seek him, and he brings about justice. What he promises to Habakkuk, he does. And then he proves it ultimately about himself in and through Jesus Christ. So God, who is strength-defined, answers those who would seek him, and he wields his strength to bring about justice and to justify his people. And this is really good news for us. Usually I'm trying to get us here to hear these prophets as if we are the, the ones that the prophets were preaching to and we're not the, the prophets themselves. But with Habakkuk, it's different. I want you to put yourself in his shoes. I know some hear Habakkuk's questioning of God in this first couple chapters as complaints. And if you're reading the ESV or the NIV Bible, the header over this section even reads Habakkuk's complaint. I like the header in the Christian Christian Standard Bible a little bit better because it says Habakkuk's first praise. Because I think that's what's really going on here. It's prayer. There's complaint. There's protest built into it. But it's a prayer. It's a child of God who has access to the Father, seeking God and His will, begging for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is how Jesus taught us how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. And what we see is God listen to Habakkuk's prayer and answer him. He hears his frustration, and he doesn't become impatient with him. A few years ago, we were at the Christmas parade down here on Broad Street. My son Jack was a lot, a lot smaller, and he couldn't see the parade because of the crowd, the, the crowd that was gathered around. And so he was getting a little, bit, a little bit frustrated. So I picked him up and I put him on my shoulders so he could see. Now this happens all the time with my kids. For some reason that particular instance stands out in my head. But this is what's happening in Habakkuk, right? God is hearing his frustration and God doesn't become impatient. Instead, like a dad who lifts a child onto his shoulders to see above the crowd, God pulls Habakkuk close and he shows him the bigger picture and in so doing reveals something about his character. I want you to get into Habakkuk's shoes and to hear this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. And you have access to the one who is ultimate in power and might and strength. And he listens to you. And he knows you. And he's proven that. And he's proven that he uses all of his power for your good and for your blessing. And that nothing will stop him from being able to bring about the ultimate good and justice and beauty and restoration. And so knowing that as children of God, we can say, When I can't see my way through, I can still see God, who's doing a greater work. He is my strength to persevere. Now, the truth is that we're all going to be tempted to think more like Babylon than like Habakkuk. We'll be tempted to worship our own ability and our own strength. Like even when we start out working for good things, nothing blatantly evil, 
even when we're seeking to make the world a better place for all and not just for ourselves. The truth is is that we will still be tempted to trust in ourselves before we trust in God. We will make idols, maybe not of our military like the Babylonians did, but also maybe that. We could make idols of our politics, putting our trust and our hope in the strength of our political party or our government. We could make idols of our education or of our career or of our of our success, believing that if we get the right credentials or gather enough money or get enough power, then we can win the day. We can make idols of busyness and productivity, thinking that if we just keep our hands to the plow, then we'll eventually get through some way, somehow. We can make idols of many things that are otherwise fine and good. But the moment we look to any of these things as ultimate answers, as gods and as idols, we're going to find ourselves in the same boat as the people of Judah and the people of Babylon. And you're either going to feel like giving up or you're going to start clamoring around to find another way to win. And it's going to be an endless, exhausting cycle. So the call this morning is for all who experience frustration all who experience dissatisfaction or discontent. You can fight the tempter with this truth. And I can't see my way through. I can still see God who's doing a greater work. and He's my strength to persevere. I want you to turn to God in prayer. I want you to seek Him first and His righteousness and remember the truths of Scripture. And I want you to put up some reminders in your life so that you don't forget. I told you at the beginning that Habakkuk is a deeply personal book for me, so it's, it's influenced the creation of some pretty big-time reminders that I've put in my life. Not only did we write Habakkuk 3.17 through 19 over our marriage, but my youngest daughter's name is derived from this book as well. My middle name is Anzel. If you don't know that, you're welcome. Right? A-N-S-E-L. Anzel, that's my middle name. I have no idea why my mom picked the name like that, other than she just liked the way it sounded with Benjamin. But the name's root meaning is meant to point to God's salvation. It's derived from a name that literally means helmet, as in helmet of salvation from Ephesians 6.17. So when it came time to pick a name for our third child, who's a girl, I like the idea of Naming her Anzel with a Y and spelling her, naming and calling her Ansley, spelling it wrong and just making her deal with that for the rest of her life. And we named her Ansley Joy because we wanted her name to mean and to be another reminder for us and for her and for the world to find joy in the God of our salvation. which is taken from Habakkuk 3.18. So when I'm having one of those parent moments, and some of you parents know what this is like, when I'm having to use her whole name, right? Ansley Joy! And in most of those moments, it's really unclear what I should do next. I have no idea what's going on. Am I supposed to punish her? Am I supposed to talk her? Talk to her? Am I supposed to hold her? Am I supposed to count to three? What, what's next? What am I going to do Ansley Joy, and in that moment when I can't see my way through, just by saying Ansley Joy, 
I'm also confessing the truth about who God is and what He does and who that makes me and how I ought to live. And I'm reminded that even when I don't know my way forward and I can't see my way through, I can take joy in the God of my salvation. He's my strength to persevere as a parent. That does not diffuse every situation. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a reminder that's coming off and out of my mouth and making me remember this truth that Take joy in the God of my salvation. And I tell you that because I want to encourage you this morning to put up some reminders in your life so that you don't forget them. You don't have to change your kids' names. Uh, I'd rather you not all name your kids Ainsley Joy. That'd be weird. Uh, You can use index cards or whatever and, and find a verse that is right for you and find the thing that's right for you, but put something up to help you remember that when you can't see your way through and when you can't see what, what's coming next, you can still see God. And that's, what, that's what's up, man. Like, you can still see God. And He's doing a greater work. He's your strength to persevere. Put up some reminders. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that you're invited into the family of God, that you can look to God as your strength also, that you can look to Christ to find strength also. Everybody in this room is a sinner in need of a Savior. You're not alone in that. The Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and that Jesus came and that He lived and that He died and that He rose again to demonstrate God's great love for you and to justify you. And it's as simple as turning to Him and seeking Him above your own way. You can do that where you sit, you can pray, and you can tell Him that you want Him to take control, that your way is insufficient, and that you want to be His child and to find your strength in Him. If you'd like to pray with somebody, forget, talk more about that. You can come see me or talk to somebody you know here. I know there's nothing we love more. I'm here to tell you all, As somebody who has aspirations of flipping the script in my family, and as somebody who deeply longs for and wants to see justice go forth and who wants to see our city prosper, wants to see restoration, and also as somebody who's kept this truth close to my heart on purpose, that when I can't see my way through, I can still see God who's doing a greater work, and He is my strength to persevere. And that when I'm either tempted to overconfidence or to utter despair, this reminder of the salvation of God and His greater work in the world allows me to find joy that I cannot find in any of my own successes alone. It's that joy of being hoisted onto your Father's shoulders, It's the joy of knowing that you belong to Him. It's the joy that He has gone out to fight all the evil empires to the death. And it's nothing can be done to beat Him. He's demonstrated that. That when I can't see my way through, I can see God who's doing a greater work. He's my strength to persevere. I think you look in any other direction and I believe you're locking yourself into dissatisfaction and final exhaustion. 
So I just ask, like, aren't you tired? God is the definition of strength. He's doing a greater work. And you are His. So look to Him and rest in Him and find your strength to persevere. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week at Redemption. And during this time, you can respond in a few ways. We're going to have the band come and lead us through worship, into worship again. So come and we're going to take communion. You can come down either one of these side aisles. You can take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. And the bread is a representation of the body of Christ that was broken for you. And the wine and the juice is representative of the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And as we come and we do this, we're remembering Jesus' body and blood that was given for us. And we're remembering him. This is one of those signs we're putting up to remember, like my daughter's name and like the verse on my wall. We are proclaiming the good news to each other. Jesus is who he said he is. He's our Savior. He came for us. He lived, he died, he rose again, and it's true. And we're proclaiming that to each other and remembering together. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and proclaim the gospel to one another in this action and to remember him and worship him through that. There's also a giving basket where we can worship through our tithes and offerings. It's right back there in the back. If you need instructions on how to give in other ways, you can find that there also. And the band's going to lead us in a time of singing. It's a time for you to reflect. It's a time for you to lift your voices together and sing praises to our God. Would you pray with me? God, you are so, so good. And we have such limited vision. We have such limited perspective. We can't see above the crowd. We can't see to the end. We can't even see back. We just can't see all around us. We don't get the bigger picture on our own. You're so good to like hear us in our frustration and to, to bring us in as we come to you with that honestly and to, to give us a glimpse what's really going on. God, what we know is that you are just, you are strong, you are full of love, and you're doing a good work and a greater work than we could ever really imagine. I think the work you're doing is even greater than we can get from Scripture. It's just, we just can't comprehend what's really going on. I thank you for a glimpse. I thank you for something to hope in, and that's you. I thank you, Lord, that we can look to you. No matter what's going on around us, we can always look to you. You're always there. We can still see you, and we know who you are and what you're doing and who we are in light of that. So, God, just give us strength to endure and to persevere and to continue in good works and to continue delivering the gospel in our city and to our families and to each other in word indeed. May you be famous in downtown Augusta. In Jesus' name, amen.